Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, friends, welcome back to Friends from Work and welcome back from whatever wintry wonderland you have been spending the last few weeks. Yeah. You know, Robbie, we had a Christmas break here and there was so much about Christmas I loved, but I missed this podcast a little bit. So sue me. I know. It was fun kind of sitting in the in the cheeriness of, of Iron Man 3, a little feel-good holiday treat for us. But now... No doubt. Now we're, we're on to a movie that, oh, man... I'm super excited about this one. Maybe as excited as I've been about anything so far. Oh, wow. Winter Soldier, although it has the word winter in it, hence January release, what? It yeah. doesn't feel Christmassy at all. <laughs> so this right. is a good comeback but from we Christmas. But are, we are going to soldier on with our rewatch oh, okay. through okay. the right. winter. I'm ending recording. That was too bad. <laughs> um, how was your Christmas? It was great. It was great. Um, I'm with you. I, I definitely miss some of the Marvel, but it's good because, you know, you have to get your obligatory holiday films in. Wait, what? What? I know, I guess we're late to ask this, but is there a movie that you have to watch during the Christmas season that's just like, if nothing else, you have to make sure that you have seen <laughs> that one film? No, I don't have one of those. I did not grow up watching Christmas movies. My family was not oh, a wow. big movie movie, but Elf would be that movie. If there was okay. one, I end up watching Elf every year. Do you have an answer to that question? Yeah, exactly. Of course, Happy Hogan. There you go. How um, about you? Mine is is super cliche, but It's a Wonderful Life. Okay, is actually my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> what? Are you serious? Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm serious. It is my favorite okay. movie. I think it's a perfect film. I love Jimmy Stewart, so I'm still riding the high from getting to watch that movie with my family. Apparently, Robbie's never heard of Shawshank Redemption, but go ahead. (laughs) But I will say there was a decided lack of star-spangled shields in It's a Wonderful Life. Now, I'll say this to bring it back to Marvel. I had an excellent break. I love Christmas so much. I get to go home to Michigan. It is a winter wonderland. And it's fun when you visit that. It's not fun when you live in it, but it is fun to visit for a little bit. I love spending right. time with my family. But this Christmas was extra special because, as I've said on this podcast before, I'm bringing my dad through the Marvel Cinematic oh, Universe yes. for the first time ever. So while I'm re-watching these movies with you, Rob, I'm going back from the beginning and catching him up using our order 
um, for his first time ever viewing. And I love to live vicariously through people I care about. So <laughs> that's been extra fun for me. So I love that I'm kind of so like dual timelining this, this uh, Infinity Saga. You know, I think it's interesting that you said you didn't really grow up watching Christmas movies, and I did. And I wonder if part of that, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of reasons, but I wonder if part of that is the fact that I'm from Louisiana, where it never looks like a winter wonderland, <laughs> you, you so have we have to escape into yeah. film. <laughs> we went outside you, and actually went sledding. So Right, right. Yeah, I, there was... There was one year where, literally one year in my entire childhood where it snowed. And I remember it so vividly. That's kind of that sad. It's, like, it, it's, it's this thing where like everyone from my, from my like class in school, like we all, it's like, where were you when it snowed in like 2001? <laughs> <laughs> Epic. Uh, I know, I know. But. but I'm back in Nashville now, so enough snow talk. Let's talk about another winter thing, Winter Soldier, the second movie in the Captain America solo trilogy. And a, a big turning point in terms of what these solo movies are capable of doing, I would say. Um, but more on that in a second. Also, because it's directed by the Rousseau brothers. I feel yes. like it's a big turning point in vibe as well for the rest of the MCU. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Captain America, Winter Soldier was released in 2014, uh, right before Guardians of the Galaxy. What a year and that was. Wow. I know, right? Um, and it was directed by Joe and Anthony Russo. This is their first appearance in the MCU. And man, what a debut. Also, though, written by... My favorite folks, Marcus and McFeely. Um, so this is now their third MCU movie um, after Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, and Thor, the Dark World. So I think it's it's kind of fun to note that the only character that Marcus and McFeely have taken all the way through is Captain America. They write the entire trilogy um, and write, I guess, pretty much... Yeah, almost every movie Cap is in with the exception of the first two Avengers films. We need to get them on this podcast at this point. And I really want to ask him. Oh my gosh. Like how that went down. Is Kevin Foggy deciding that they're going to be the writers in all this? Or with as the directors change, are the new directors saying, hey, give us those guys? I, I love how much they just understand this character though. Like, because I, I, their writing style, I think especially compared to some of the other folks that we see, even compared to like John Favreau or Taika Waititi or James Gunn, it always kind of leans more towards this wholesome kind of, like they, they are intent on giving you meaningful moments in a certain type of way, which is not to say that it can't get dark because it obviously gets very dark. But I, I feel like they understand Steve Rogers so well and I'm so grateful that they were allowed to shepherd him all the way through in the way that they did. Because I think that that means that we get these great callbacks in Winter Soldier and in Civil War that we don't really get comparable versions of in other trilogies. Right. Um, before we get any further, though, um, the cast here is fantastic. We have Chris Evans returning, obviously, as Steve Rogers. We have Scarlett Johansson here in a pretty big role, almost co-starring as Black Widow. Anthony Mackie makes his debut. 
as Sam Wilson, the Falcon. Uh, Colby Smulders comes back from the Avengers. Of course, Samuel L. Jackson, and maybe my favorite iteration of Nick Fury that we get. Hmm. And of course, Robert Redford, who I would just say really nails it here. I mean, Robert Redford is obviously a legend, but I, I love that he is just in top form in this Marvel movie. He is excellent. So my favorite takeaway from this film, like if I could sum this up, is I just loved the idea that the Rousseau brothers came into this franchise. They obviously care a ton about these characters, specifically Captain America. And they came into it and said, like, how can we push the boundaries of Captain America and Steve Rogers as a human? I feel like, mm-hmm. again, their best quality is this, this idea that they have to drive these characters into something new. They can't be just stagnant characters. And I think you see that in how they shoot the action scenes with Cap. Mm-hmm. I think you see that in his questioning of things and and this little bit of a dark side you're starting to get. There's just a lot of excellent Cap work done here. And it's probably my favorite Cap work done ever. Yeah, I mean, this movie is so tight. It's so focused. And at this point, don't want to get into into whether I prefer this or Captain America Civil War, but the beauty of this movie is that it doesn't have to do nearly as much as Civil War has to do, right? And here we just get such great... Russo brothers, Marcus McFeely cap work where like, I think what, what I'm really impressed with is you're right. They're intent on pushing the character, but they also still honor what Joe Johnson did in the first Avenger. It's not like they're just trying to kind of start a new clean slate. Well, I just feel like they basically said, Hey guys, Captain America is still a boss. He's not just the do-gooder. Let me show you some other stuff he can do. Let's think about this. Even the action scenes, right? The Rousseau brothers themselves said, look, there's not a lot about Captain America that you can show his fighting style from a long ways away that stands out and looks like super, superhero-y. Like it's not right? like Thor where he's calling down lightning. Right. right, lightning. Or he's not flying around shooting lasers out of his hands like Captain Marvel or, or Iron Man. Um he is just a super strong human, basically. So they right. did so many action sequences that are really ground level shots of him just like beating the crap out of people, including oh, yeah. establishing that right off the bat in the same way these directors establish Thanos as unbeatable in Infinity War. Like think about how much they wanted to change that tone right away in Infinity War. Right, they changed right. the cap tone in this movie from the very first scene with the ship takedown. Yeah, All the guys he's like taking out, basically. It's a much darker, stronger, sleeker version of Cap, and I love it. Totally. Well, and and to your point, like I think the choreography here, just by virtue of the kind of fight scenes that we're getting, is maybe the strongest of any MCU film. Because I think once once we get into like Civil War and even Infinity War and Endgame, we're dealing with like big superhero fights where you don't have that kind of hand-to-hand like almost, like you don't have the art of it yes. in the same way, if that makes sense. 
they know how to direct action. That's not a question at this point. Did you see that they filmed the famous elevator scene, which is some of the best choreography for a fight ever? Yes. They filmed that first. That was the first thing they did when they all the actors got on set. And Gosh. just to put in perspective how crazy this is, like Chris Evans had to train for like a month and a half or two months, not just physically, not just to make him look jacked, but getting the choreography right of that fight scene, how it was going to go down. I believe and it. It pays off here. It's yeah. an amazing moment. And there's a lot of fight scenes like that where I'm like, wow, this is the next level of action for him. Yeah, I mean, that scene and then the scene that you already referenced on the ship where I was I was watching a behind-the-scenes thing and the Rooster Brothers were talking about how if you watch, and it's kind of a reference back to Avengers where um, Natasha points out like, oh, this guy's all over the place whenever Cap's fighting Loki, which... Is kind of his first fight out of the ice. And they're showing, okay, well, two years have passed. Cat's been working with S.H.I.E.L.D. He's been training. He's been training, yes. I so love now that it's idea. Like, like the only, like, and, and even if you look at the Captain, like Captain America, the first Avenger, everything that we really saw Cap doing was just by virtue of him being enhanced in the ways that he's enhanced. But he never really had the time or the opportunity to just really dig in and train and reach his full potential. Ever, and really? And I love that I love right that. out, yeah, like right out the gate, they're like, all right, he is, he's coming in and intentionally taking out everybody in a way that ensures that they are unconscious or that they are like out of the way so they're no longer a threat. Like it's so systematic. And again, it's so artistic the way he does it. Yes, it's like beautiful to watch. It's a much better version of Cap yeah, fighting Yeah, than anything wise. we've gotten so far, for sure. Now, there's so much about this movie that is unbelievable besides the action, but I'm just going to say one other action thing. Sure. The scene of Nick Fury in the car chase and oh, the, man. the car being you know uh, shot at and then crushed. So that intense. entire thing, so intense. For the MCU, this was a big shift, I feel like. How yeah. you know twisty- these scenes have gotten and how intense that scene got. And then the way they filmed that car chase just feels so visceral. Yeah. I, I love it. No, it's so, I mean. And how damaged he is, how like they really beat Nick Fury up. It, it looks believable. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's fitting for us to talk a lot about the action because I think one of the big takeaways from this is just how fast paced and fun but still, like, so dramatic, this It's not, like, lighthearted, is. though. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. like, when I say fun, I think that's the impressive thing, is it's, like, this movie is so engaging, but it, it is the total opposite kind of fun that Iron Man 3 was, right? Like, it's, like... Right. It, it, that's why, I mean, I think that this is such... Totally, those two couldn't be further apart, absolutely. I feel yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's why this movie is so different, and what it shows can be done in one of these solo films. Cause it's like up until this point in any of the iteration, like any of the solo films we've gotten, we haven't gotten any character work on this level. I don't think like, or, or, no. you know, and definitely not this bold of, I mean, I was like looking at interviews with Kevin Feige whenever this movie came out and he was saying that this movie was just so much more ambitious than anything that they had tried and that he was even kind of nervous about how certain things would play based on kind of the tone that they had set prior to this, which is much more in keeping with an Iron Man 3 or even a Captain America, the first adventure. Mm -hmm. But this doesn't feel like a superhero movie. 
No, this is the closest thing the Rousseau brothers get to a Dark Knight Christopher Nolan vibe. Yeah. It just straight up is. The soundtrack's similar in that way. The twists, the darkness, the fighting, it feels a lot like not a superhero movie, yeah. as you're saying. Yeah, I mean, we- I mean, we, there's very little in this that feels quote unquote unrealistic. I know totally. there's some parts, but it's very ground level feeling. I mean, we almost, it's it's almost like a Daniel Craig era James Bond vibe. Yeah. And kind of has like a specter feel or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but all that to say, as much as I do love the action, I love that there is also so much- of an emotional core to this movie. And I think the one big takeaway for me is kind of looking back at some of those interviews that I saw with Joe Johnson at the time where I think his intention pretty much was always to kind of do Captain America and and do, he even said at the time, he really wanted it to be a standalone, you know, sort of his, his Indiana Jones uh, homage kind of a deal. And then I think he maybe was in talks to stay on, but I, I don't get the sense that that was ever really what he wanted. But I, I remember him having conversations with people about like, you know, how you move that character forward in an effective way while still honoring the consequences of what he had done. And I think that for as modern as they make this movie feel, I like how much it's still about Cap acclimating like it's still about the fact that he is a man out of time like we get that line several times we get some lines that i love like well you know all the men in my barbershop quartet are dead like it's this it's this like he is you know even the conversations that he has with sam where it's like yeah he like a lot of things that we kind of talked about when we were trying to figure out what cap's mentality was going into the or the conversations about him trying to have a date yeah because he's so out of touch yeah it's like they really honor that stuff. Like I like that it's not just like, okay, well, this is a new cap. Now it's been two years and he's plugged in and he's a secret agent. It's like he's still, even though, yeah, like he is a boss and it's like he has evolved in terms of his combat, he is still, you know, like a 95-year-old man, you know, from the 1940s. Okay, I want to respond to two things you just said epically, by the way. Well done. <laughs> One, the first thing you were talking about, I, um, personally being a team Iron Man guy, I just have never felt like I've connected with Cap as much in the past. This rewatch is really getting me in tune with Cap, his Hmm. rhythms. And I think one way that really shows is him and Peggy. And I guess I just used to think that Peggy was like this kind of side story thing that happened in the forties and forget about it, move on. Hmm. And I just forget and I appreciate this time how heart-wrenching the scene is when Peggy is old. Oh, man, And he doesn't get to live his life with her. And then when she repeats herself and how Cap handles that, it really moved me Uh. this time. And I realized that, okay, the Peggy Cap thing was not just a one-movie thing from Captain America, the first Avenger. They really did keep this going. And every time they keep it going, it becomes more and more moving and believable to me. And so I'm apologizing to my past self or my past self's apology to my future self that I just didn't appreciate that enough. And this time I am. So I really, really enjoyed that this time. And that was a heart wrenching core. That's why I think I was really harping on how much I love that moment at the end of Captain America. I know that there are other issues with that ending, but I really love that last conversation that we get with Steve and Peggy in 1945 
because yes, man, like seeing like this scene, it means more to me now when you realize he never gets back to that. He never yeah. gets home again in his brain. The second thing I wanted to respond to it's it's interesting that we now can take a snapshot with this movie of where Cap's character is, and I love that along his progression, this is now the version that is starting to have to question everything. Yeah. So at the end of Captain America, the first Avenger, they hint at that. Remember, his first thing was deception from yep. S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. And now... Well, and in the Avengers. It goes from... And from the Avengers, he's learning that he can't just trust everything like he used to think he could. But now, you know, we're further down that line here. And I love that it kind of culminates for me in that last 40 minutes when Cap finds out that Fury's still alive and they're meeting in that secret base. And there's this subtle line where Nick Fury's like, if we hurry, we can save the helicarrier, blah, blah, blah. And then Cap like interrupts yeah, yeah. forcefully and says, no, it's all going down. Shield, Hydra, it doesn't matter. If, I, if I'm calling the shots, it's all going down. And then Nick Fury, in a moment that I think is supposed to be a cool, look, Captain America's becoming Captain America moment. But right. I interpreted this time more as Nick Fury says back, well, I guess you're calling the shots now. And he says it in a way that he's almost frustrated. Like, yeah, yeah. A, a, officially, Cap is like the bigger personality than Fury at that moment, if that makes sense. Well, That's a think, long ways for Cap to come from the first couple movies. Yeah, well, I think Cap is also finally just kind of confident. And I think we will see, there's a really memorable speech that I'm excited to talk about in Civil War, where we see that like really culminate, this idea that like Cap has always had this strong moral center. And I think a lot of Avengers, you see him really wrestle with like, am I being, like, am I being too naive? Like, you know, like how much should I kind of stand my ground here? And I think now we're at a point where it's like, okay, no, we're going to do things my way. I know what I'm doing. And I know now that that I know better than the people that always think they know better than me. You know where else we get that that I love is in his interactions with Black Widow. So yeah. I feel like Black Widow a lot is joking around and trying to find him a date. And there's a couple of lines where she's just keeping it lighthearted like it used to be. And Cap isn't naive anymore. And I like that he doesn't take her crap at times. Yeah. There's two particular scenes where at the very beginning – the, she's like, oh, relax. That's your mission. I'm just grabbing this data. And he's mad about that. And a grenade goes off and she goes, you know what? That's on me as kind of a joke. And he says, you're damn right. It's on you. And leaves. Yeah. And I love that. Like Cap's not going to take it anymore from people just telling him, like mistreating him and not telling him all the facts. Then he marches into Fury's office and kind of gets in his face. And the other place I think we see this is I kind of like when she's chewing that bubble gum because she has the uh, flash drive already. Right. And Cap like actually physically grabs her and like pushes her and says like, stop lying to me. And I just kind of like that version of Cap. Like he's done with the crap yeah. that he's been given now for the last two movies. Well, and I like it too because, you know, and again, we've talked about this before. The Marvel movies are so quippy, which is fun. And it's a lot of what makes them fun to watch. But I like that Cap he takes these things seriously because it sets him apart from someone like Tony. Like I like keeping this dichotomy. Like I don't want every, every hero to act the same way. Like so often it's like, you know, Dr. Strange is, is quippy. Ant-Man's quippy. Iron Man's quippy. Spider-Man's quippy. Like I like that we have a hero that is like firmly like, 
you know, whether Taking you, it seriously. Yeah, like whether or not you, whether that's your cup of tea or not, like I know you probably prefer the Iron Man personality, but I like that they really stake out this is Cap's take on things. And while I often see things through Iron Man's lens, there's a line in Age of Ultron where Iron Man says to Cap, I don't trust somebody who doesn't have a dark side. And as a team Iron Man guy, that's kind of how I feel. And Cap responds, well, maybe let's just say you haven't seen it yet. And I love that now we're seeing it in this movie. Tony hasn't seen it. This is the kind of film that makes me warm up more to Cap, if that makes sense. Well, in a bit, and I'll save it for the end, but I'm excited to talk about how this movie sets up some things in Age of Ultron. But there is a lot of great development here from the Avengers especially. And I was thinking about it. I mean, like Iron Man 3, this movie does a great job of referencing back to those events. But in some ways, way more so, this is almost a direct sequel to the Avengers. Like, with the events of New York kind of spurring Nick Fury and the World Security Council to build Project Insight, it's like, it almost feels like phase two weapons, which were like the Tesseract-powered weapons, didn't work out. So now they've kind of moved to this other sort of like massive weapons project that is in the same way that later we will see, you know, kind of Tony reacting to his fears, I think, Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. are reacting to their fears after the Battle of New York by, you know, creating the system that, like Cap says, is kind of holding a gun to the world's head. And the reason I say all that is because one of my favorite scenes with Cap is whenever he walks in on the helicarrier and drops the weapons and he's like, phase two is S.H.I.E.L.D. uses the Tesseract to make weapons. And it, it, it's to me, that feels like such a defining moment in the way that he is now going to view authority and view S.H.I.E.L.D. especially. And I think that this whole movie, in some ways, is following out of like that experience for him. Yeah, no, I think that's fair, for sure. And really honors that. Another one of my massive points from this movie that has nothing to do with Cap as a character or the mythos of Cap um, is just in how the film was made. I really, really love that the Rousseau brothers can do this suspense thing, this twisty plot thing to where, as a viewer, I feel the stakes, even if in the end nothing happens. I truly don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And I just love movies with that vibe. Well, But there's so many times where I just can't figure it out what's going to happen, and I love that. One of the best scenes of this is when Cap gets back to his apartment and Fury's in there, and he's just saying it's bugged, and he's leaving messages on his phone. And as a viewer, you don't have any idea who to trust. Yeah. And then that, that other agent busts in right after, and right away you're like, oh my gosh, should he tell her what's happening or not? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, is Fury working with her? Is she working with them? I, what's going on? I don't know. I love those kind of films. Yeah, no, I I actually, again, kind of trying to watch this and under the illusion of it being my first time, you go a long way through this movie, I feel like trusting Alexander Pierce. Like there's always, you know, you're always a little suspicious when a new character is introduced, especially if they're a big actor, that they're going to be the villain. But I really like that it does set it up to be, okay, yeah, maybe Nick Fury is a traitor, and you kind of understand that he's sending, even the elevator scene, I I can totally believe it's him sending S.H.I.E.L.D. after Cap because he thinks Cap is somehow responsible for Fury's death. And it makes that scene where Bucky shows up in 
Pierce's house. Even that scene, I think, is so well executed. And so, again, props to the Rousseau brothers because it's like he sees Bucky in the shadows and at first he's kind of shocked and you're thinking like, oh man, like the Winter Soldiers come to, to kill this director of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then there's a pause and he's like, would you like some milk? Yes. The situation changed. And then he like goes into this whole thing and it's like, oh, no way. And then obviously he kills the housekeeper and stuff, but it's like, oh, savage. So one more kind of big picture thing that I loved about this is we've talked about the character development that we get from Steve, which is obviously huge. But I also love seeing Natasha wrestle with this kind of evolution from secret agent to a member of a team. Like her relationship with Steve is one of my favorites from here all the way through Endgame. Because if you if you think of the version of Natasha that we got in Iron Man 2 and then kind of look at how she was in the Avengers, but then like what you were saying earlier, she represents through especially the first half of this movie the most kind of jaded, like hyper-pragmatic, you know, like you look out for yourself because that's what it's like to be a spy character. And then at the end, it's like this line, or towards the end, this line that you get where she's asking Steve, you know, if roles have been reversed and I'd had to save you, would you have trusted me to do it? And Steve's like, I would now. Yeah, and it's like, I I feel like that's a big moment for kind of who she is and how she sees herself. Because I, I do think, like, even after Avengers, she still hasn't kind of crystallized as part of a bigger thing. But I think now at the end of this movie, we've seen such a huge evolution from her just in this two hours that I, I, I guess all, all of this is just so, so impressive to me because we've listed so many things that this movie is doing so well and it never feels at all bloated. I was, okay, oh gosh, I got so many points I want to say just based off what you just told me. (laughs) It's such a good movie as far as following up the Avengers and fitting in this phase two and dealing with the events of New York and all that, but it never really gets bogged down by the weight of having to set up another movie coming up. Right. It's really well done that way. Regarding Natasha, take yourself back to the first time you ever saw this movie. Did you ever get a sense or question if there could be something romantic between Steve and her or not? Oh, no, totally. And I think you're supposed to. You are, okay. They're definitely really good friends, but for a little bit, I'm kind of watching going like, was this supposed to be a relationship they ran with? I don't know. I think it was, I think we were getting the sense that obviously they're both very attractive people. And I think that she's flirting with him at the start though, right? Like, I think that's part of what makes the development work is at the start, she's almost treating him similarly to the way she treated Tony in Iron Man 2. And then I think there's like a right, real Right, but then you shift. get a much you get a much more vulnerable Black Widow than we've ever seen before yeah. later on. But that's what I love is because I think that the obvious move storytelling-wise would have been for them to then kind of be romantically involved once she opens up like that. But I love that this is just this solid friendship that lasts throughout the rest of the Infinity Saga. Yeah, there's for sure a lot of good Natasha character work that's done here. And I extra appreciate it because she's never had a solo movie, but she's been in a bunch of films at this point. And you're right. This is almost a co-star for her. And we get a ton of growth in two hours. It's really impressive. Okay. 
I have just a yeah. bunch of random details that are either foundational or just fun facts that I found while I'm watching this film. Can I just kind of blaze through a couple of them? And you yeah. can just kind of respond and we'll just go from there. Yeah, go for it. My first thought was, why not keep the intro Brian Tyler credit theme. <laughs> you love I don't, it so much. It's, I love it so much, and it's so much better than the other ones to me that I'm kind of like, why not keep that one? It gives me so many chills. Um, <laughs> how about all the on-your-left references? That's fun. Yeah. And you catch you catch that they say it at the very end when Steve's waking up from being in, in the hospital. I'll let you keep blazing. Yeah, yeah, I'll let you keep blazing through, but just because you brought it up, I was also going to say, this is maybe my favorite opening to an MCU movie. Oh, okay, the jogging around the I love monuments. It. Yeah, I love it. I don't know what it is about it. It just it's it's a smart, different way to open this up. It's not like some kind of ominous starting scene with a villain or something. It's just a really perfect introduction to this movie. Yep. Okay, and I've said this so many times, but I also love whenever these movies remind you of other characters and other things that would have happened if this was real. Like if the Avengers were a real thing, what are some other practical situations you'd have to deal with? For example, I love that they have a museum built to cap. Yeah. Which is yes. kind of, it feels very like real, you know, like, Oh, they yeah. would have probably built a museum if he had done that. I want to go to that museum. I do too. Also, I love that they show Cap is so out of place and so lonely early on, you know? Like, how how cool is it that he pulls out that list of all the things he's missed? Again, if he really yeah. had been sleeping for 70 years, what would you want to catch up on? That's interesting to think about. Like, what would you feel I, like you that, really missed? That list always cracks me up. Like, I love the line Nirvana, parentheses, band. <laughs> so, Robbie, regarding that, I don't know if you saw this, but the makers of the movie sent out a survey, if you will, to different parts of the world asking them, what are some things that Cap would need to catch up on if he had missed those 70 yes. years? Yeah, I did and see that. I don't know if you saw so cool. They actually put different versions of that notepad per the area you're from in that movie. So yeah. meaning like if you were from Asia and you submitted some Asian things, when Cap opens that paper, it was some like Asian specific culture things. Right. Like I think in Korea, they had like dance dance revolution. Yes. Right. <laughs> as one of the things. Yeah. What a fun idea. I just thought that was so cool. Well, and I really liked the rationale behind that where they were saying that they, they didn't want Cap to be a hero just for America, despite his name, that they wanted the whole world to feel like he was their hero. Yeah, I think that's just a really cool idea. Um, that's about everything on my list. What else am I missing from your list? So I do. I also have a list of these little small things, but I'm also thinking of a big thing that we haven't talked about, and that is the Winter Soldier himself. Oh, gosh. It's called I know. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. <laughs> I love, I love, love, love the way that they imagined Bucky's return. It's, it's probably the single biggest... Uh, kind of solo storyline from the past two decades yes. in Marvel Comics. And they, may, I mean, I, I prefer even this this interpretation to what Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting did in the comics, which He's was also really fantastic. really cool. <laughs> when he catches Man, the it's, shield, it's really dope. It's so it's so cool. And I feel like, I, I you know, we talked some about Bucky's chemistry and how much they, they made that relationship work oh, in the it's first way better here. movie. It's way, well, and I like that they even do a little bit of work of like he goes to the museum, he's looking at Bucky, he has the flashback of him and Bucky. Like it really, like it makes for some really emotional moments. Um, 
and makes me excited for not only the rest of this rewatch, but for the Falcon and Winter Soldier show that's coming out down the line. I just really love the way Sebastian Stan plays this character. I do too, and I agree with all of that. I will say, Loki coming back from the dead twice in this viewing order a little bit damages the payoff this reveal of Bucky could have had for me. Like if I hadn't already been, hey, this character's dead and he came back twice because of Loki, I think this would have been even a cooler reveal to be like, oh gosh, Bucky survived. And I still love it. I still love it, but I just wish I felt it even more. But even in release order, Loki's come back twice yeah. by now. Yeah, yeah I mean, for sure. But I do really like it, and 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 how they imagine the character is excellent. I love the brutality they give him. Um, yeah. Just, it, it really comes off like he is totally brainwashed because he's I, so savage, and I love that. Yes, I mean, talking about action scenes, one thing that really stuck out to me this time is that scene when, you know, Cap's given the inspirational speech at the Triskelion and people are, some of the people that are loyal to him are like, oh, we're the only air support that Cap has. And he single-handedly, Bucky single-handedly takes out like five or six different jets and all the pilots. It's so intense. It's like terrifying. Can I tell you a tiny detail I love about that though? Is he is this super soldier and he's got this bionic arm and that's cool. But I love that he's just savage in a way of, I'm just going to grab guns and grenade launchers and knives and just kill you. There's no talking before I do it. There's no, like Captain America is not going to be one to grab guns and just mow people down, right? I love that he's just like, hey, grenade launcher, booge, rocket launcher. Like he's not doing anything that's fantastical, but it's so cool just to watch how aggressive he is in operating those things. (laughs) It's like a machine. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, right. And, and, and you're right. Like it, a lot of it is the cool bionic arm, but sometimes it is just like that scene where he grabs a grenade and throws it into the cockpit as the pilot's closing the. Right. The it's like, geez, it's so and and that's like a it's brutality so casual that we haven't him. seen that often. Yep. yep. In the MCU, yeah. Um, but one one question I do have about this, I would say that as a viewer of of because I I, I actually think whenever I saw First Avenger. I hadn't yet caught up on comics and didn't really know about the whole Bucky revival Winter Soldier narrative there. And I feel like I actually believed that Bucky was dead when I saw that movie. Like, I didn't doubt it then. My question is, I feel like they are trying to kind of enhance that relationship to build up and make the reveal meaningful. Do you think by doing that, they inevitably give away the fact that the Winter Soldier is definitely Bucky? You know, I'm going to be totally honest and say I had this exact same question. I cannot remember how I felt when I first saw the first Avenger. Did I really think he died or not? I cannot remember. And then I also cannot remember before I knew this reveal, are you supposed to know who that is before Steve does? Like, did you recognize him from just his eyes and his hair? I cannot remember. Th- I can't remember. I mean, I, I feel like... Fans, help us I'm out. Being- if you're listening to this podcast, let us know on social media. Yes, if you yeah. If you remember that you caught that was Bucky before Steve realizes it. I can't remember. If I'm being honest, I kind of feel like this was one, and I'll have to go back and look at the trailers, but I feel like I remember going into this movie thinking, oh, this is a movie where Bucky comes back. And I don't know where I would have gotten that idea because, like I said, I don't think at that point I had any idea of the comic narrative. Um, also, speaking of deaths, 
uh, I just wanted, because we've kind of talked about this, do you feel like this was an opportunity for Nick Fury to actually die? Yes. Yep. And he is such a good character. It's such a character I appreciate more, as I've said before, on this rewatch. He used to be a throwaway character to me, and now I've grown to love Nick Fury. And his death there would have been so impactful, and you could have probably pulled off the rest of the storyline with them just dealing out of those motivations of losing him versus having to have him be there. Yeah. However, I understand why they didn't. And one of those reasons is also that I think they plan on having him go forward even into phase four. Totally. Hence the Captain Marvel thing and the Spider-Man thing. So, yeah, you know, you, know, you, you never know. I mean, I, th I think especially at this point, Samuel L. Jackson is a huge on-screen presence that I'm sure Marvel was not eager to usher you know, like to, to get rid of. Let me, let me let me say this. If this was the only movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think I would totally be okay with it, the deception of him not dying. But it starts to add up for me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Where Bucky comes back to life, Loki comes back to life, and then Fury comes back to life a little bit. I, I wish I felt the consequences more. Is that fair? No, totally. And, and I think, I don't know, my thing with, with Nick is I think this movie, I mean, looking at the role that he plays later on, he does definitely have some really cool moments. But I think that they could have, story-wise, definitely continued without him. I, I think that he has, he has some good moments in later movies, but I, I already said this is kind of my favorite incarnation of the character. And... I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think that this could have been an opportunity. There's an alternate part of me also that thinks, and you might totally disagree, but something I kind of would have loved to have seen if Kevin Feige really had the long game in mind would have been if his, if his death was real, but the movie played out the way that we saw it and the Nick Fury that we, were, that we saw later was actually a scroll. Ooh, that I think if Marvel had known Captain Marvel was coming down the pipe, what they were doing, and for like years and years, this Nick Fury that we were watching, like especially if they gave us like little clues that we only would have noticed in retrospect and stuff, you know, like I think that could have been epic. This is and this really silence is me just trying to process what you're saying. I've never thought about that. <laughs> I never thought about it until this viewing. I know that like whenever spoiler alert. Whenever Spider-Man Far From Home came out, there were a lot of questions of I, how long. I hated it. I hated that scene. So in my head, I'm still trying to like pretend it doesn't exist. But it did, and I, I know, have to deal with it, and I hate that. I know, and, and there were a lot of questions about how long Nick Fury had been a scroll. But like, I, I'm not going to go into all of this right now because it's just not the time. But in the way that the comics did this famous secret invasion storyline— throughout the mid-2000s was so epic because it took place over years, Kyle. Like, Brian Michael Bendis, who is one of the most famous comic book writers of the modern age, like, started planting the seeds in, like, 2004 for a reveal that that didn't come out until 2008. Epic. Where it was, like, you you have to, like, you never would have known, but there were all these, like, these little weird things that you had no idea what to make of it. And then you go back and he was putting Easter eggs in like all over the place. And I think that like having something like that could have been really cool. Of course, the difference there is 
in the comics, the scrolls are are evil, and in the MCU, we've kind of made them into like misunderstood good guys. So it, I, anyway, I'm going to end my scroll conversation because it has nothing to do with Winter Soldier. But I just kind of was thinking of this fantasy world in which Nick Fury could have died. We also could have gotten him, and it could have taken us into a very cool later storyline. We didn't. So <laughs> we didn't. But we still had an amazing movie. Uh, okay, let me just run through a few more we'll things get real quickly. We're a long <laughs> okay, ways into okay, this. I'm sprinting, I'm sprinting. Okay, I really love that this movie gives a shout-out to one of Cap's goofier but kind of classic villains, which is Batroc the Leaper. Uh, <laughs> great name. Who is, right? It was essentially this super French, like overly French uh, acrobat that has this kind of fun martial arts thing. Uh, it's, like I said, like if you, you should go Google an image of this character. I think it's like Stanley era Cap. Um, but you know, yeah, the, the Russos do a great job of kind of grounding that character, making him this kind of terrorist for hire. So I liked that again, just kind of, oh, fan no, service. I did just Google the character. Oh, yikes. <laughs> okay. Keep going. Right. Um, okay. Here's something I never noticed. And I feel like I've seen this movie a, a good amount, Kyle. That line, whenever he's talking to Agent Carter in the hallway, like whenever we first see her, the laundry scene, and she's getting off the phone and she's like, oh, sorry, my aunt, she's a bit of an insomniac. We don't know at that point that that Sharon Carter, that her aunt is Peggy Carter until Captain America Civil War. But they give us like this little shout out there, which I thought was really fun. Wait, they don't say it in this movie. No, we You're saying, yeah, we never I, know. Oh, I thought yeah, because there's a big moment at, in Civil War when Cap is at Peggy's funeral. Yeah, you don't even know her last name yet, do you? Yeah, well, it's a big thing. And whenever he sees her walk up and give the eulogy, he's shocked because he didn't know that there was any connection. Oh, okay. I'm putting this all together. That's is that cool. Again, yeah, I just assumed I knew who she was because I've already seen the movies, right, but right. I get what you're saying. That's Again, cool. this is the kind of stuff that I think we get by having the same writers across this whole trilogy. Um, did you notice that the song playing on Steve's stereo, whenever she's like, oh, I think you left your stereo on, did you notice that the song there is the same song that's playing during Cap's final scene in Endgame? Oh my gosh, the dance with Peggy, you're saying? Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. It's a song called it's 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 called like it's been so long. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh again, excuse my silence. I'm just processing this live. That's really cool. I, I these are things that I I mean, of course I haven't seen this movie since It's almost kind of like the song he's been wanting to dance to. Like he's got it picked out of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love that though. Um I also, in terms of just a little thing, I never noticed that the doctor treating Fury in the bunker is Joe Russo. Did you catch that? Yes, I did catch that. I had that written down. I had heard he likes to try to get cameos in the movies he's in, so it's fun to kind of catch these, but that was funny. He got a line, too. That one is funny. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm interested to see if he's in uh, Civil War now, and I just have missed it in the past. But um, two more things. One thing I like about the MCU in general, I know our rewatch order plays with this slightly here and there, but I like that for the most part, these movies are kind of unabashedly time-stamped. And this movie came out in 2014, and to me, 
nothing feels more 2014 than going to the Apple store. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. It's so I just really like that scene. I love like, that it's guy, like, by I'm the not, way. Specimen. Right? Specimen. Um, oh, we're going okay, to uh, my, my, New Jersey. Oh, cool. <laughs> I, know, I know. He's like, yeah, we're planning our honeymoon. Oh, where are you going? Uh, New Jersey. <laughs> um, yeah, and then my final thing, and this is just me geeking out, but Kyle for how much I love Captain America, the first Avenger and how much I just love this entire arc. I got so amped whenever he steals his original suit from the museum and puts it on for that final battle. There you go. You uh, and your costumes, yes, man. Yeah. You and your costumes. Yeah. I, although I do really love the, the winter soldier costume and I, I like would. that there's a little shout out to that costume and, uh, and end game as well. Okay, my very, very last, I'm going to run through this detail, is we've been giving shout-outs to the soundtracks every time. This soundtrack, to me, is not that notable other than it's really interestingly different. Even the soundtrack clearly changes vibes for this movie. It very much goes to a rhythmic, like, Dark Knight, Hans Zimmer-sounding track and less anthemic classic themes, yeah. which Marvel has been doing more of at this point. If you think about like yeah. Thor Dark World and Captain America, the first Avenger, this is very not Alan Silvestri doing it. And I think it works for this totally. dark dun, 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 dun vibe, yeah. you know? But it's just very different. Well, Even and the, the, and the Winter different. Soldier theme, the like, yeah, oh, oh, the, like the high screech. <laughs> yeah, that's the best yeah. part of the whole thing. Yeah. No, I, My I, wife I had that written down too. That. I, yeah, I, I think that this is such a great way as much as obviously we love Alan Silvestri, a great way to kind of introduce the modern version of Cap. He's still, and this is something that not all composers do when they're put into the middle of one of these trilogies. Like Brian Tyler doesn't use any of the Thor 1 themes. I like that Henry Jackman still uses that Cap theme that we love from the first movie, but he, he uses it pretty sparingly so that when he does, it's meaningful. And all of this, yeah, it's kind of a really stressful score. And it feels super like espionage, spy movie. He'll also end up scoring Captain America Civil War, which I think is an even more perfect blending of the two styles. But yeah, I have no complaints with this score at all. I think it's actually one of the better entries. Okay, so we just spent 90-whatever percent of this podcast just going about this episode. The movie is virtually flawless, but I did dig a little deeper to try to find something that doesn't quite work as well. Is there maybe one or two twists too many? Like, for example, I love the twisty nature of the plot. Don't get me wrong. But I could just right. start going with... Nick Fury is going to die, then he's not dead. How about when Nick Fury digs out of the car and goes underground? Why wouldn't Winter right. Soldier just follow him down there? I don't get that. Right, um, right. Uh, Agent Carter is actually Steve's neighbor, and the pins at the end of the movie where they electrocute the senators, and Colby Smulders pulling off her helmet, and surprise, she's actually a police right. officer there. And I love them all. It just gets a little bit like... I don't know, one too many. Because I haven't even started yet. We also have Bucky is actually the, the Winter Soldier. And we have, sure. there's like, there's maybe 25 of them. And I just wonder if maybe they could have toned it down a pinch. But again, well, it's barely they're like a complaint. throwing Sitwell off the roof and then Sam right, actually right, catching it. Yeah. Right. The whole no, movie's built that. on that. I and that. I love that. But yeah. Yeah, I feel that. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me, but I see what you're saying. I would be quicker to make that complaint about the next Captain America film. 
but easy we'll deal with that when we get there. Easy on Civil War. <laughs> you know how I feel about Civil War. Easy. I do. I do. Uh, Peggy, <laughs> old Peggy, I love the boldness to try it. It's a little visually off-putting to have her wow. eyes. To have her eyes be the young actress, but then her face be CGI'd old. I just feel like it's a little bit visually so I, off. I totally disagree on this one, actually. No, it's amazing, but it's not perfect yet. No, I mean, e- even on the visuals, this is something that I, I noted down I thought was really well done here. So I think that's just a difference of opinion. Like, there are other... There it is well ep- done. It's just not perfect yet. I said, I'm, I'm digging deep to find little no, things. No, I know, okay? I know. But, like, for instance, for me, I I feel like there are times where the aging or de-aging thing does not work super well. Like, I think an example is I don't love the way that Hank Pym looks in Endgame, like young Hank Pym. Here, I was like almost more aware of that because I've just kind of been looking at how they do that throughout the MCU. And I thought that like, it looks more like makeup to me than CGI. It seems super convincing. I think Haley Atwell acts it very well. I'm not, I, you're I mean, me too. absolutely I think entitled it's good. to that. I, think it's I just good. think that I, I actually thought that that was a huge win. So I, I think you're just being entirely unreasonable and well, you're right. you're not allowed to say anything else. That's it. <laughs> My last dumb thing is, why is Scarlett Johansson so whispery? Have you noticed that? <laughs> she's way more whispery than you're she's ever really, been before. Why really is she whispering the whole deep movie? to find flaws in this movie. I just, I don't understand I why she whispers. It. it sounds like she needs a throat lozenge. Like she needs some honey. I didn't notice that. I didn't notice that at all. She, oh my gosh, my wife and I notice it every time. I love her. I love her. I love it. But she whispers the whole time. Never talks. Okay. <laughs> okay. I love the movie. I got nothing. Do you got anything? I got nothing. I like this movie so much. I, this is crazy. I, other than like maybe questions about if it was a missed opportunity with a meaningful death here, I have zero examples of things that didn't work. You know what? This then, is crazy. then maybe we should just make this point that some of these top tier movies, Robbie and I basically don't have any flaws with essentially. So going forward, it might just have a lot more positive of a tone and that's okay. Yeah. Like they're yeah. pretty close to perfect. This one's really From- close. From here on out, and this is an exceptionally good one. I mean, this is near the top of a lot of people's lists. But yeah, I mean, you know, especially once we get to phase three, it's just hard to find things that are wrong with these movies. And, I, you know, obviously we love them. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> but a lot of the ones that we're coming to are the ones that I, I think, Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong, that really inspire us to even have these conversations. Oh, for sure. This is why the podcast was born. I mean, we've already trudged through the monotony of Incredible Hulk and Thor 1. So (laughs) we've made it out the other side, and this is a really good movie. So speaking of the future, I know we've already talked about quite a few things that are obviously foundational going forward, but is there anything else you wanted to add? I did take a note that, you know, we see Hydra here again. Kind of crazy to see them tie in Dr. Zola and kind of keep that thread going. That's been interesting to me. But going forward, is there anything else we're missing? No, I mean, I do love watching this movie right before Age of Ultron because the end credits scene here literally, in the same way that Thor Ragnarok leads directly into Infinity War, this end credit scene leads directly into Age of Ultron. Um, I, I also just really love, like what I said earlier, the way that this is setting up the dichotomy between Cap and Tony, because the version of Tony that we see in Age of Ultron is becoming increasingly Nick Fury-like, if that makes sense. 
and that I think he is he's taking like, over pro- the leadership role, kind of. Yeah, he's he's like protected all costs, like the the ends justify the means, and Cap, especially coming out of this movie, is I think as wary of that as he's ever been. I mean, and at least to this point, we'll see it get even more ramped up in later films. But so I think whenever we start looking at the issues that are at play in Age of Ultron, they have almost as opposite motivations as they possibly could. So that, yeah, that was sure. kind of my big cap takeaway here. And I'm, it just makes me super, super excited to get to Age of Ultron. Okay, so but, before we get to Age of Ultron, I need to hear yes. what your ranking of this movie is. And I want you to go first because I feel like I've gone first the last few times. Not fair. You go yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. I always make you go first. Okay. So my score for this is a 92. And I have it ranked at number seven out of 23. So that okay. means it is it is higher than any movie that we've watched so far except for Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a hair above it. So this movie has 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I do know that a lot of lists you'll find have this movie as like a top three. Some people yeah, think this yeah. is the best MCU movie, period. I'm not willing to go that far, but it is almost flawless. So at this point, I want to reiterate something. Any movie that I deem to be a tier one movie, you could essentially argue is your favorite movie because of some preference things, and I would be totally okay with that. So movies like one to nine, one to 10 are virtually interchangeable for me. So at that point, it comes down to just personal preferences. And I tend to prefer the movie to actually have a touch more superhero vibe and team vibe. I tend to like the movies that have more of the characters involved, okay? It doesn't mean it's a better movie. That's just how I fall. Totally. I gave this movie a 94%. Which Whoa. is very high for me because you know my numbers are less inflated than yours. So ninety four percent, which is six of twenty three for me. So okay, nice. We still nice. haven't gotten to a lot of the, the the five above that, other than Guardians of the Galaxy one for me personally. Um, yeah, but. 94, if you've been really paying attention, is the exact same score I gave the first Avengers. But in my list, I think this is a better movie than that. So it is six instead of seven. That's funny because I also gave the Avengers a 92, but I have the Avengers ranked number nine because this is better than that. And there's one in the middle that's also a 92 that I also think is better that we'll get to. So we're we're close here. I think our Do numbers just kind of Do you agree with my some. overall like one through 10 assessment though? That if you, oh, I mean, totally. if you, if you came to me and you argued that Spider-Man Homecoming was your favorite movie, I'd be like, okay, I'm not going to fight you on it. Right, right. I mean, that's the thing. I'm looking at these numbers and you know, you gave this a 94 and I gave it a 92. And once I get to these high level movies, it's like I, it almost, sometimes it even changes like, <laughs> on a daily basis, just how yeah, I'm feeling feel with that. some of these movies, you know, like, yeah. it's like, yep. do I want to be watching Captain America or do I want to be watching Thor? Like, I don't know. It's like, but all of these are so, so good that they are bordering on to me as a Marvel fan, perfect films. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. I think the tier system is really helpful here, especially like we said, as we get into these later films. Um, but we would love to hear what you guys think. Like we said, Winter Soldier is one of these that 
that I've heard people for years saying is one of the best, that it's a, a, it's a top five Marvel movie maybe. So let us know if, if you loved it, what you loved about it, maybe what you didn't love about it. Maybe we are sitting here you know, glorifying this movie that you think is totally awful. If so, you maybe chose the wrong podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, um, please reach out. As always, we are on all the social media platforms at the FFW Podcast. And remember to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Yes. Um, maybe also take a second, rate and review, but only if... <laughs> You have something nice to say. <laughs> We're very fragile. That's not true. We can take criticism. We they can write what they want. They can write what they want. Okay, only say mean things about Kyle. Okay, fair, fair. If fair. you have mean things to say. <laughs> Sounds fair. No, please rate and review it. It actually helps us a ton if you like this podcast. And again, Robbie, people have actually reached out to me with some tech questions. So if you subscribe to the podcast, it will download to your phone immediately. That's the benefit of doing that versus having to yep. find it and search it every time and miss episodes. Continue. Right. So again, we're telling you to subscribe more for your benefit than for ours, folks. <laughs> <laughs> we're just trying to help you out here. Um, You're welcome. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. Uh, we look forward to ramping up for the next rewatch movie, which will be, give it to me, Kyle. The Avengers Age of Ultron. Yes. All right. Until then, this has been Friends from Work. See you next time.